Hey everyone, my name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another special episode of Make Ours Marvel that we like to call Not Comics. This is our 14th Not Comics special. We've been journeying through the X-Men films whenever we have not had a new MCU film. And um, the if, if all works out according to plan, this episode is going to drop right as you are able to go to the theaters to see X-Men Dark Phoenix. We're not talking about X-Men Dark Phoenix. We're talking about X-Men The Last Stand, which is like the first go in a Dark Phoenix storyline. So, um, you know, hopefully you're there and you can compare and contrast the new with the old. And I hope, hope, hope that the new one is a really awesome experience. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) But once again, joining us, we have um, we have Sarah Century all the way from Sci-Fi Fangirls. She has come across the internet to rejoin us once again to talk about some X-Men movies. So, Sarah, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Did you enjoy Endgame? And um, we talked about Captain Marvel, so we know you enjoyed. Did you enjoy Endgame? I did. I was all over the place, as I believe you know from a different podcast that we were on. Yeah. Um, I was all over the place. I had my mind working against my heart, you know, and they both said different things about it. Yes. That's why it's called Avengers the Hot Mess. Yes. I mean, it's lovely, just right? crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to get into the third X-Men film, which was released in 2006. I was the ripe old age of 27. Is that right? Sounds right. <laughs> Don't make and, me do math. <laughs> I had I had a kid. Um, I had almost two children. Okay. I still just one though, and she would have been way way too young to go to this. But uh, but yeah, 2006 X Men: The Last Stand. Um, I remember after X two, everyone was really really excited for this. Oh yeah, um, that's because X two was awesome. It, mm-hmm. it, it was it was it was it was pretty good. Well, of of the three, uh, what I like to call, um, 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 what's his name, Singerverse movies. Uh-huh. Even even though this one's not directed by Singer, it still feels very much connected to the other two. And then after this, it goes off the rails. But uh, I thought two was the best one, and this was maybe maybe the worst one. We'll see. I'm kind of changing my opinion about it. But mm-hmm. Sarah, what are your memories of of, of this film or when you first saw it? Oh, wow. Uh, I don't remember how I saw it. I remember being very, very upset because to <laughs> me, uh, Jean being my one of my very oh. favorite characters in all of fiction made me just roll my eyes beyond what I thought was even possible throughout this entire film. <laughs> um, my door is being knocked on. I'll be right back. I'm sorry. Sure. It's the feds. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Not again. I've been watching a lot of Sopranos, so that's on my mind now. Gotcha. <laughs> I need to rewatch that show too. That's been a long time. I, I've never finished it. I I guess I got through five out of really? six seasons, and then must have dropped the ball. So I started from the beginning, and I'm I got like five more episodes to go. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Is there anything that's jumping out at you that you forgot about? Um, well, this whole se- this last season, I never saw, so that's been interesting. Right. I didn't know, I didn't know like how Chris died. He just died the last episode I watched, um, in the car wreck and all that stuff. So that was kind of okay. crazy. Um, I know the ending is one of the most like 
debated HBO ending short of Game of Thrones now, I guess. But um, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. But I kind of know going into it that it's going to be a weird ending. So I'm hoping that means I'll like it. Yeah, it's different, right? Like whenever it's like disappointing you in the moment. Right. Like you don't see it coming. Yeah. Yeah, Once everybody so. like talks about it, then you're like, "Oh, I expect this to be bad." So that's I kind expect of, I some guess. artsy ending that's ambiguous. Enter okay. my podcast to get your boyfriend's door. <laughs> okay, we need our own offices. Um, that was spaghetti. He uh, oh. was bringing my daughter's wallet head over. Your daughter <laughs> is dating a guy named Spaghetti. Um, he's not really named Spaghetti. Okay, I don't know exactly know how that happened. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> His last name is very, very Italian, and oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, somebody else somewhere is Linguini, and somehow he's spaghetti. So it's really great because when we're texting about him, he's just the emoji, the spaghetti emoji. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. so, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I'll clip all that. Okay, it was just us talking about the Sopranos. <laughs> okay, speaking of spaghetti, uh. <laughs> so um, let's see. So, Sarah loves Gene, hates this movie. Oh, that yeah. That was the last thing we said, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I think that I have grown to enjoy it more. But in the moment of watching this, it was very much me being like, none of this makes any sense to my brain. And I can't process it. Oh, and then I took a huge break from movies. I didn't watch Marvel movies forever after this. Like, I swore them off. And uh, it wasn't until, like, Thor Ragnarok, I think, that I started watching <laughs> movies again and was like, oh, these are good. Wow, that's, oh, that's a long right. I remember break. you saying that, like, in one of our early shows. Yeah. Yeah, I was out for a long time. So everything that was happening where fandom was completely blowing up and everybody cared about it, <laughs> I was just out. I was not having it. Uh, I even stopped reading comics for a little while there. Then I really came back pretty hard considering the fact that it's what I do for a living. Right. So every time someone posted on twi Twitter, like Avengers was awesome. You would just comment, never forget X-Men three. <laughs> I just, I would be <laughs> the way that I usually deal with those things. I'm used to being the person who hates something. Right. <laughs> and whenever I am that person, I usually just go, Oh, what did you like about it? Uh -huh. <laughs> I try to be yeah. diplomatic, although I do not always succeed. Well, that's fun. Um, I, I had no concept of the dark Phoenix storyline. Right. So I was taking this movie completely on its own merits mm -hmm. and I was just dismayed that she went so utterly evil so quickly, but right. I thought that's what she was supposed to do. Oh yeah. Um, it also like, I don't know if it was just like my younger brain or whatever, but when I first saw this, I didn't think she looked like Salma Hayek at all. I thought she just like looked like a completely different person. And I didn't have that problem this time, with with the exception of a few scenes where they like really, really alter her face for effect. She's 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 the same person. So that was weird. You mean you say uh, Salma uh, Hayek? Yeah. I did not, no, I, I didn't say that. I said Famke oh. Jansen. Okay. <laughs> of course I did. I don't know why you would think I said Salma Hayek. Who is that? I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Salma Hayek as Dark Phoenix really could have turned this whole thing around. Right? <laughs> that would have been awesome. Not to sell Fumke Jensen no, no. short, because she's great, but I mean... Yeah, I don't remember where I saw it, but I'm sure I saw it, and 
if I don't want to do math, but 2006 meant I was still single and childless probably. So, um, that was a long time ago. Um, and I was familiar with the Dark Phoenix saga because I think I've said before, we had a trade paperback that my brother and I shared on a road trip once. That's all I remember about that awesome road trip was that story or that trade that we got to read over and over and over again. Um, so I found this movie at the time very disappointing. Like, they didn't follow the right storyline, blah, 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 you know, because that's how young brains work. But now I'm like old and wise and it's like, oh, OK, sometimes you can do things that aren't my expectation and they can still be OK. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm. I mean, we'll go. We'll talk about it as we go, I guess. But I actually enjoyed this movie that I watched today for this show probably more than I ever have before. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just because my expectations are low now, or because I know what it is versus what it isn't. Or yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really. It used to be like, oh, that's the worst of the three, and now it's kind of like actually, it's about the same as the other two. So I don't know why I dislike it so much. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's. It might be one of the first times where we associated a Marvel adaptation with a very specific storyline. True. Yeah, yeah. And seeing how a Marvel film could adapt at that storyline. Yeah, because actually, I mean, up, up till now, Spider-Man, it's just been Spider-Man 2, X-Men, X2, those didn't really connect themselves to specific stories. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just kind of a detached mess. Like, when <laughs> When you go through the plot points, it makes no sense. None of the things that happen or are done really are in character. But as we've talked about over the last two X-Men right? I do feel that way about a lot of things that happens in these movies. So I think you're actually kind of right. Like, I felt kind of the same way where I re-watched this really recently and was like... You know, I can be a lot more affable about this now. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like, as we complained before, there's a lot of characters that we know as comic fans who don't really get anything to do. Yeah. Don't really have anything developed. And this movie does the same thing. But it's like, well, why is this one hated and the other two aren't when they all do it? So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I was surprised to find how forgiving I was of this movie because the first time I was absolutely not having it. Well, then let's, uh, it shouldn't be too hard then to start out with a few positive notes um, Mm -hmm. before we get into maybe some of the things we have problems with. Um, And speaking of characters who are very different in this film, um, Storm has lines. Yeah. Like a lot of them. She has a lot of lines and she. It, it is the Halle berry storm that could have been almost in this movie where you start seeing those glimpses of her really being assertive. There's that scene where Beast says, this was a school to help people and Storm stands up and says, yeah, and it still is. Mm-hmm. And that was to me just like, this is the person who has her goals in mind. This is the person who's really kind of allowing her own brooding and her own problems to take the second shift, you know, (laughs) like putting everything that is happening at the forefront and really trying to find ways to deal with it. And I thought that that was really interesting, actually. So the big compelling thing about this movie, of course, and I'm not saying they do a good job of exploring it or don't do a good job. I guess we'll all decide right now. But like the big compelling (laughs) thing, of course, is the premise, which is they can cure, cure, quote unquote, the uh, mutant gene, right? Mm-hmm. And so Storm's big thing at first anyway was like, well, we're not a disease. You whatever. And I'm just going to toe that line. And then there's like all these weird freaky mutants going, um, I wouldn't mind being <laughs> fixed. No, 
you're beautiful, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, wow, that's just a very dogmatic point of view, Storm. Where is that coming from? And then I was trying to think, and it's like, oh, wait, no, we have no uh, past history with this character in these movies. So I really don't know where it's coming from because she's never been a character before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll go to the comics then. Is there anything in the comics that would make it so, like, she just has no no empathy for Rogue or Beast or or Nightcrawler. anything? Nightcrawler, when it comes to this whole uh, dilemma that they're going through. Um, you know, she, she comes off really strong. She uses the word coward. What kind of coward? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, you can pass. <laughs> right. You know? And you've got cool powers. And really cool hair. Like, like you know, you look great. You're a, literally a goddess. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, then you have a lot of people who aren't and who don't or who could pass her for, you know, as human and not get bothered, but their power does cause some significant impact in their life, like Rogue. Um, and I just, I wonder if Aurora has just never had to deal with that aspect of mutancy, which seems really weird if the school's been running for years. Yeah, um, I think with this one, I can't help but view it through being a queer metaphor because you have people who can pass, you have people who can't, and the person who can't is telling the people, or the person who can is telling the people who can't kind of how to do things. But then also, if I look at it through that perspective, like we would all agree that conversion therapy is one of the most evil things that exists. Mm -hmm. So it's awful. It's torturous. It's the worst thing that you could possibly imagine. It's worse than being queer, (laughs) you know, by a wide margin. Just having that extra hardship on top of you, like trying to fight something that is a part of you and denying that part. It really hurts other people on the queer community for many reasons. It's not necessarily the person's fault, but it is evil and bad. So whenever I look at it like this, I see Storm's perspective completely because if somebody was like, I'm, you know, some younger kid came to me and was like, I'm thinking about undergoing conversion therapy, I would be like, absolutely not, you know? So I think about her stance here and that's how I have viewed it (laughs) was me being like, well, how would I feel if there was something intrinsic to me that I couldn't change and I saw it in other people, I was there to help those people I understand that they're going through any number of things, but she knows that the end result is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with, I, well, not necessarily the problem, but every time they try and do an analogy with the X-Men, as we've talked about on previous movies, yeah, it's like sometimes it's paper thin. Yeah. And it's like, you know, being a homosexual doesn't necessarily mean that your desk dissolves every time you touch it because you can't stop secreting acid. Sure. You know? Yeah. So that could be why it's kind of different, but... I right. do agree with you that they're totally that is what they're basically doing is saying, you know, you are who you are. You shouldn't have to change. Mm-hmm. And we'll um, help you control that. If there is something yeah. happening right. that is completely throwing your life out of order, we're here to work with you on that. So Correct. taking yeah, an yeah. easy out, of course, would be offensive to Storm. True. I wonder I wonder if the angel kind of stands to provide one of the perspectives on that, because. We see the angel as a young teenage boy, exactly the age whenever sexuality starts setting in and a boy might begin realizing, very Mm -hmm. contrary to his, you know, 
harsh, strict, conservative parents' expectations and teachings or whatever, um, that he is, you know, not exactly straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so young Warren is like trying to rub the wings off of his back. <laughs> and that- his dad, his dad catches him in the bathroom and says, Oh no, not you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, isn't that, that is point. this movie, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> okay, this movie. Cool. Yeah, I feel like that was one of the times whenever it's set up very specifically to be a queer metaphor. Right. It's yeah, yeah. puberty. Like, he uh-huh. tries desperately not to be the thing that he is. Like, we have instances of that, obviously, across everything, pretty much. Like, every identity type that you can have. But, um, yeah, it seemed like in, in that where he's, like, trying to cut his wings off, that is so just potent an image i think for mm-hmm. being i mean for being anybody really but like the queer side of that where you do that terrible negotiation with yourself so early on where you're wondering why you can't just not do it and <laughs> like just not be that person mm-hmm. and i right. think that that is just absolutely fascinating right. but right. and it's right. one of the places where it succeeds right like it's one of the places where the mutant metaphor when you're mm-hmm. like you know growing up you watch it and you go that is how i felt yeah like x-men 2 and have you tried not being a mutant yeah Remember bobby's mom same That's idea only this is even more vicious mm-hmm. So specifically about a queer experience. Yeah. We derailed on Aurora. (laughs) Oh, well, that was just my big, her big, I mean, the big take I took from her. But also, yeah, I did like that she uh, kept the school open after Xavier died. And she got to kick some serious butt a few times, which was nice. Other than just like, oh, we need fog, you know, or something. Like she actually got to fight, which was great. I thought so, too. And one thing that I didn't know when I first saw this that is straight from the comics is that she was the first leader of the X-Men after Scott. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they talk about, you know, with Scott not able to lead, she is the next natural choice. And granted, we haven't seen a whole lot of why that would be in the last couple of movies. But, you know, um, didn't a powerless storm get into a rumble with Cyclops over who should be? be the leader of the jets and she won or am i just thinking of some other comic? you're totally right that know. was yeah amazing issue yeah that was pretty Cyclops, cool he was a wreck at the time <laughs> he yeah. like comes in with like a wife and is just like well clearly the x-men need my help because you're all like <laughs> bad at being x-men now and storm's like okay cool let's rumble like so good yeah so um we've talked about warren we've talked about aurora um let's talk about rogue because I okay. think her storyline is one of the core elements of this, basically of of the part of the movie that isn't Dark Phoenix. The other part of the movie really kind of focuses, you know, Rogue sort doesn't really focus on her, but she's kind of the linchpin of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we feel? Again, again, one of the elements of this Rogue that makes her different is that this is the Rogue that never got superpowers. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a Rogue who only leeches energy, doesn't have very much redeeming going on for her. So how do we feel about her journey in this? Well, it's kind of weird. Like, she was the point of view in the first movie. So she mm-hmm. had a lot of screen time. Um, she introduced us to what the whole mutant concept was, essentially. Not that we didn't know. But, you know, some people didn't know. Um, second movie, she, I don't remember. They kind of did stuff. There, there was, like, a new mutants thing going on vibe. And this one, it's like, even though, in a way, like you said, she's kind of like the... Uh, 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 person this would apply to this whole conundrum of 
should we or shouldn't we? I mean, rogue. You can blend in, and but then again, so would you? Or, and it seems like she filmed for a day or something, and then <laughs> was done. Like there should have been more rogue. I think. I don't know. Oh yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I think that they really. They had given us a rogue that obviously there's like an across the board feeling about. We mm-hmm. don't know always if she's the best version of rogue, I guess. Mm-hmm. But in this, I think that they really doubled down on not doing a good job on rogue. <laughs> right. they were just kind of done with her. And even the people like the person who she's in an ongoing relationship with is like losing interest and barely. Uh-huh involved because she is just so much her angst train at this point which like you know we've all been teenagers i get that but i thought it and it's i never really exactly know how old she's supposed to be in these movies either it's the same x-men problem we always have where you know is kitty pride 16 or 27 like we don't really know (laughs) well the actress is 27 and kitty pride is 16 Right. Yeah. Sounds about right. It sounds about right. I think that that's accurate numbers too. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I thought obviously like they didn't do anything with Kitty. So that makes us be kind of like, well, why is she even there other than for this incredibly boring love triangle that doesn't really need to be here. Um, and it really de-emphasizes focus on all of them, except for Bobby. I think Bobby is the one who comes out as being somebody who I kind of learned something about. Yeah, um, like you said, Rogue was our our point of view character in the first film. So mm-hmm. she's sort of been carrying us through these films in a way. And that that focus very much shifts in this. Um, I like her story arc in this. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, her struggles with, you know, and, and of course, the, the focus of her difficulty is her sexuality. Um, and so she's struggling with the idea that she really wants to touch people. She really wants to be involved with people. She's at that age where, you know, you're an older teen and those kinds of, you know, uh, sparks are supposed to start flying and she can't do anything about it. It's very much a, um, uh, oh, I had another story in mind that didn't quite gel before the sentence finished. Never mind. Um, (laughs) but seeing her in this, I, I felt very sympathetic with her that she, of all the people the cure might have been legitimately helpful for, she was in that camp. Sure. Um, at, at the same time, through the course of the story, we end up losing her as an X-Man. We end up losing mm-hmm. her as a mutant character. And I as don't an interesting know. character at all, really. Yeah. And and kudos to Bobby because even though there's an obvious attraction between him and Kitty. He never behaves untowardly because, you know, he is still, you know, ostensibly, you know, even if it's only under name only, he's still with Rogue. And and you can just um, see her past really diverging in this interesting way. Like that actually I thought was interesting. Um, but as a, mar- as a married man, I am not going to be ice skating at two o'clock in the morning by myself with one other some other girl that's not my wife. Fair, that's just me. No. Fair enough. He did definitely do that. Uh, And also, I would like to just say that Bobby and Pyro, their chemistry is really off the charts. And (laughs) they should probably try to explore something. He seems like he's always trying so hard to be such a nice, gentlemanly guy. And that certainly doesn't align with the comics where he was an overcompensating ass most of the time. But he's very genuine in this. And you have that actor who just has those like puppy dog eyes. So it's really 
you want to be on Bobby's side through this entire thing. And you really emphasize, I like, I empathize with him in a way that I normally wouldn't empathize with somebody who was, you know, taking a girl out ice skating at two o'clock in the morning while his sad girlfriend watches. (laughs) But, uh, I don't know. He was put in a bad position. Like Rogue was walking away from everything that he cared about and he didn't understand her perspective, but he was good at trying. So that is, I think that once again, I don't want to like look at those three characters and say Iceman was my favorite, but he totally was. I think that he was the person who was given the best characterization in those though. I did have emotions for (laughs) both of the other two kitty is basically just there as you know a cypher like she's just another x-man in that scenario and then rogue of course we there's all kinds of complicated feelings there i think the best scene with rogue was when she's leaving and wolverine of course is always waiting for her to leave i guess at the door because he always catches her (laughs) um but that was a great conversation. Like, aren't you going to stop me? No, I'm not your dad. I'm your friend. You know, you're going to, you have to make your own decision and what's good for you. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would have liked to see either a longer version of that scene or just more of those kind of scenes with Rogue to make it feel like more of a story that mattered as yeah. opposed to just like something that kind of faded away. And then they tack it on at the end, like, I'm back and I chose something. Yeah, and also I think it's important too because they never really examine the fact that while Rogue is signing up for something, she's signing up for a life where she doesn't have to deal with those problems, she's completely turning her back on the place that she lives, like mm-hmm. <laughs> all of the people yeah. in her life. That is where were, where were those talks? That's an interesting thing because if we once again consider this a queer metaphor, then that would be like turning your entire back on your queer community. There's a lot of personality and things to delve into there. You can't Mm -hmm. just like dismiss it, I guess, so quickly. But once again, this is very different rogue that we're dealing with. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't agree with her decision, but I guess I understand it. Yeah, but I think like even in the context of the movie, they're setting up this question. Mm-hmm. But then they, they could answer it with her or at least show us the drama of her decision-making process. Why and does I it feel matter? like yeah. I feel like they don't. So that's a, def- that's a deficit to the movie, even outside of the comic books. Mm-hmm. I totally the, agree. The first time we see her in all of that group in this film is during the really awesome Danger Room sequence, which is, you know, one of the highlights of the film for me is that sitting oh, yeah. <laughs> flying down. Logan um, lights his cigar on the... <laughs> Right, right. That's the key prime Wolverine. We have to admit, give it. Yeah, up. <laughs> and how many how many frogs he does not give through that entire thing. Um, but it's like, okay, so you have Peter and Rogue, Colossus and Rogue, and then you have Kitty and Iceman, and you know that sets up the 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 you know weird triangle for the film. Um, but it's like, okay, Iceman and Kitty are the ones who are trying to decide whether or not to be together. They're both gay. So um, it's kind of weird that those are the pairing that they've chosen for this. Um, Rogue is, I don't know. Rogue is with Peter in that, and that Peter and we have, we have an X-Men movie that has Peter Rasputin and Kitty pride both in it. And they never talk to each other. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Well, I think his name is Peter Rogers in this movie, so <laughs> yeah, it's not really the same thing. Oh my god, I cannot handle that accent. Like it's gone. I don't yeah. know what to do. There's like there's things that just make my brain stop working. And Colossus talking without a Russian accent is one of those things. 
Yeah, he's just kind of a non-entity in all three movies. He gets to do some stuff in this one, which is nice. But mm-hmm. but he's so good but, in Deadpool. <laughs> but this is just the complaint we have about a lot of these characters. But like the, Colossus is a huge X-Man in the comics. And here he mm-hmm. is like just a generic American white guy with the crew cut who, mm-hmm. who, you know, they don't want to spend a lot of CGI budget on. So he becomes Colossus every once in a while. Right. And Colossus was a huge part of why we consider the X-Men to be a diverse team, because he was one of the people who was introduced in Giant Size X-Men. So once we started seeing that international team, Colossus was a part of that. So to just kind of blink that away was a choice. (laughs) That was Yeah. Yeah. Thank God for Deadpool, I guess. He's so good in Deadpool. Yeah. Um, So speaking of characters that are wasted, does anybody have any background information on why... um, the guy who plays Cyclops wanted to be in two minutes of this movie. Because <gasps> I don't. Gosh, what is the deal? <laughs> Isn't that really weird? It was actually kind of painful. He I was mean, killed I, off screen. He was I killed like off screen. Cyclops. I really do. And it was rough. Yeah. Speaking of another huge X-Man in the comics, who? a founder, a freaking founder. Um, His relationship with Gene is the core of the Dark Phoenix saga. <laughs> It doesn't. Yeah, it's so, for them so, to just avert that gaze over to Wolverine was definitely, you know, just whatever. So, so here's where the whole expectation I wrestle with sometimes is like I feel like the movie would have been better if part of the drama was we have to kill her. You better not, you know. Yeah. So Wolverine, the practical guy who loves her too, but he's like, yeah, I think we're gonna have to kill her, Scott. And Scott's like, you try and kill her, I kill you. You know, you can mm-hmm. do that because they did that in the comics, I think. You know. Yes. Um. That would have been a great war, how to deal yes. with the crazy Jean Grey, right? And they mm-hmm. just, like, eliminate that drama. So, again, like, there's no rule that says they can't do that, but that was one of the biggest uh, kind of, like, expectation fails of this movie for me, was Cyclops just being gone. It's where you see that they don't care about Cyclops. It's definitely where you see that Cyclops, their, like, knowledge of that character is from the cartoon, right? Because mm-hmm. we get this very boring kind of straightforward like oh he's sad about his girlfriend the end that's it it's over and that was only even after two movies of us seeing nothing between them (laughs) other than just this weird possessive relationship yeah so it's it makes us not miss him he dies really soon and it's completely off camera it's a very strange scene where they meet at the lake <laughs> and I always like laugh whenever I see that scene where Cyclops is like, Oh, how, how are you still here? How are you alive? And Jean is just like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm always so amused by that because nobody in this movie knows <laughs> why or how Jean is here. And they, they, uh, they play lip service to the whole cocoon in the lake thing from the comics. Yeah, kind of. It's very strange. There's no explanation of it. It's just kind of like, well, <laughs> she and was she's hanging out. And she's an energy vampire? Question I guess mark. So. Oh, there was an explanation. It was it actually, I remember this part. So I did see this in the theater because the entire theater laughed at the absurdity of that quote, like of uh, uh, Professor X going like, she must, the only explanation, he literally says that, the only explanation is, so right there, you know, this is a bad line, <laughs> is that she must have wrapped herself in a telekinetic cocoon. Oh. Yeah, and, the, and the entire audience was like, that's just weird. <laughs> oh, no. 
Um, but here's a here's a Marsden quote, which doesn't necessarily explain anything, but it says it's difficult when you have however many new characters that you're trying to introduce to an audience in 90 to 120 minutes to give everyone their due. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, maybe don't introduce new characters if you can't be nice to the old ones. But yeah, or give anybody a solid arc. Like n- almost nobody has one. <laughs> yeah. This. Who who was introduced that's new that got anything decent anyway? I guess Beast, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's mostly just the Wolverine show. Yeah, it is. I missed Cyclops throughout this movie. I think that that's a good point. Yeah, no Cyclops. Um, He's very sad about her. Then he gets killed by her for literally no reason. Mm -hmm. Um, He bad kissed her. And really, the, 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 the rules described for us in the movie are that this is a side of Jean's personality that is all desire. And passion and, you know, do you say joy? Um, so the, the the interpretation that we should take, I guess, from her, you know, eating Cyclops and trying to screw Wolverine is that that's what Jean Grey really wanted to do. Yeah, that's how you know she's evil. She starts making out with people. It's very bad. Well, yes. So, <laughs> so I have and, a question. And, and, oh, and go ahead. When it comes right down to the whole Alkali Lake scene is sort of a nod to the uh, the the butte in the original comics of the Dark Phoenix saga is like you know mm-hmm. the one time that we know in the comics that Cyclops and Jean Grey had sex was on that butte, <laughs> and they they nod to that in this scene. Mm-hmm. So I have a comics question that's related yeah. to this movie. I promise. Um, I couldn't remember, and I tried to look it up, you know, on Wikipedia, but oddly they don't. They always write everything like 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 it's from a fictional point of view so they don't po- point out retcons or anything like that mm-hmm. so i never know when something's a retcon or not but um i know uh they bring gene back alive with the whole cocoon oh it was never really her thing that was a retcon right yeah mm-hmm. okay but was the phoenix force a retcon or was she initially supposed to just be gene gray with awesome powers who went crazy oh uh phoenix was introduced like the way that they introduced Phoenix was as something had happened to Jean while she was in space. And we don't see deeper on that until a few issues later, whenever she realizes that she's merged with the Phoenix force, the Phoenix force was supposed to be this uh, protector essentially of the Imkron crystal. And because the Imkron crystal was under threat, we saw what exactly had happened to Jean. However, it was still considered that she was completely in control. But the Phoenix Force was introduced up front. As... It was like a little bit later, but yeah. Okay. And then but later, as something I mean, inside her. Yeah. And then I it mean, turned out just to be just, her. Yeah, she, she flies into the air at first and does her, I am Phoenix, I am fire and life incarnate, now and forever, <laughs> all of that. But... Um, so we don't know. She's just sick for a few issues. But yeah, in the original story, they do identify it as being a, a cosmic force that is merged with her. Okay. They don't know how powerful it is. They don't really know how much danger they're in for a long right. But it was never about her being like, you know, a class five mutant who's just out of control. No. Like something it, happened to her. Something did yeah. have, they gave her lots more power. And it was basically mastermind trying to convert her to um, to be the new black queen for the Hellfire Club. Uh-huh. So he was like courting her and dating her and f- 
getting into her mind and and in some uh later scenes we find out they have like this whole greek mediterranean like romantic liaison that's really creepy um yeah there's so many consent issues with that and emma frost helps him that's the only way that he can be powerful enough and the weird dynamic of wingard and frost teaming up to essentially really violate gene's consent here (laughs) in the comics is always something that i feel like people kind of try to brush off but it's a huge huge deal it's why she hates emma so often for years so I guess and, the, the point of my question, I guess, well, is like, I, I want to finish one more thing. I'm so sorry. Right. Right. Um, so really the Dark Phoenix is almost kind of like a side effect of what Mastermind's doing because he's trying to convert her to be the dark, the Black Queen. So he's like breaking down a lot of her morality structures in her brain. Mm-hmm. Right. And what he doesn't realize is happening as a result is that the Phoenix in that brain is no longer bound by a lot of the morality structures. And so she loses that all that control that we have subconsciously mm-hmm. right but so the point is though in the comics even prior to the retcon that that's not even gene at all she was quote-unquote infected or changed somehow mm-hmm. whereas in this it's like now that we have another moral issue of was professor x right and of course the answer is always no but was, <laughs> was he right that like she's just going to be a really powerful person so i better block that because this power is going to make her evil right there, there is a, a reference in the comics to this, though, because okay. even in the very early days, there's conversations where Professor X is clearly just doesn't give Jean her autonomy. He doesn't give her the choice. So he takes her choice. And later he talks about, well, I was just afraid of how much power she had. Right. And so we can never look at xavier's uh, actions as being good but but in the case of this movie they actually say like well he's not wrong because here she is obliterating troops at the end of the film with the dark evil veiny face and black eyes and stuff and it's like (laughs) well so i guess he wasn't wrong and so they're undermining their question of whether it was morally right for him to do that by giving us the answer right but But also she would have does feel weird like why did he think that that was cool to do when meanwhile he's standing next to a guy who can use the golden gate bridge as a taxi like mm-hmm. that dude is just as powerful i mean sorry he's not class five he's class 4.8 or whatever but <laughs> like he can kill a lot of people too and you never went into magneto's mind and like suppressed his power yes so was there something in her brain i don't even know if they said this in the movie but was there something in her brain where he just knew oh boy if she taps into this power she's gonna go crazy um or I did he just that- assume that I mean, it it reads as an assumption, certainly. And also, I think that the way that Jean is generally treated is that she was so powerful, everybody was afraid of her, right? And then you have Xavier, who kind of steps on everybody's toes <laughs> to be to assert himself and say, well, she's just not going to be able to handle it. Now, in the comics, we have these viewpoints of later on, Jean realizes that that inhibited her ability to defeat the Phoenix. The fact that he had restrained her power comes back and bites her hard in the ass. And then after that, she's screwed. Like her whole life is over pretty much. I mean, she rebuilds and comes back and all of that. But, you know, we, in this movie series, we've talked a lot about how, what was the gene that could have been? Xavier is actively the person who took that chance from her. She, in the Jean Grey series, talks to her younger self and says, 
I have to make sure that you're in complete control. You're training with your powers. You're becoming a better person than I was because I was not given the tools to actively combat this thing. Because mm-hmm. it kind of it doesn't fit the Xavier model, you know? Like, it doesn't. Come one, come all. I know your powers are scary, but we'll find a way to you know, develop them and give you a happy, healthy life. You Except not you, Jean. I'm going to suppress you because you can I'm lift scared. a lot of cars. And she's better at his powers than he is most of the time, which is very so, intimidating for him because she's a teen so, girl. Maybe so that's his issue. Way that, you know, this teen girl is extremely limited by these older, well-meaning men. And it's oh. a very interesting story that didn't really make it <laughs> to the screen. The way I read it is that, or at least what they're, what I felt like may have been their story was that when you see young Jean in this, mm-hmm. there is something, there's something a bit unfettered about her and a bit malicious about her. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's um, and so I can, I can, I can see how in the moment someone might consider, okay, this is a lot of power and somebody who doesn't seem to have a lot of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of years between then and now. Mm-hmm. And so I would think that even if Xavier decided to take the role, the, 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 the choice that he made of inhibiting Gene, then shouldn't his goal then be to prepare her for her own self and to help mm-hmm. her grow into herself and help her become herself instead of 20 years go by yep. and I never got around to taking off your training wheels? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's like, that's one of the biggest problems of Phoenix in the comic, too. And that's why a lot of times we look back at Xavier and say, well, Xavier really was a jerk because he (laughs) just completely inhibited this girl, just really messed her up in a terrible way that allowed all of these other things to happen in not just her life, but in everybody's life. So, yeah, it it wasn't really stated in this film. It wasn't really explored, but yeah. Well, the the first first two movies... The first two movies were like, uh, you know, a congenial, uh, wise, has all the answers, Professor Xavier, right? Mm-hmm. And I think all three of us were just like, yeah, that's not the Professor X we know. But it's a Professor X we sure like. We wish he was like that more often, but he's not. And then number three comes around this movie, and it's like, oh, yeah, there's the comic, Professor X. And the Wolverine guy. Is, is sort of like the voice of the fans. Uh-huh. They're like, what do you – what you, you what? And he's like, yeah. I don't <laughs> – Bit. I don't even have to explain myself to you. That was like, nuts. That is, yeah. like to me, one of the most messed up things I've ever seen. What would you know? You're an animal. I yeah, was like, holy that's Professor damn. X. And you that, know what else he did that was evil in that movie? Not evil, but just a little creepy. Was like, remember when he's talking to Storm and he's he's like, I haven't thought of you as my as my student in 20 years or whatever. And <laughs> I want you to take I want you to take over as leader. And she's like. What about Cyclops? And then he gets all evil conspiratorial again. He's like, Cyclops is a changed man. I don't I don't have any use for him anymore. You know, let's use you instead. Whereas like maybe Professor X from one and two would have cared about his student and the sorrow he's going through and the grief he's going through and Seriously? tried to fix it. Instead, he just tosses him aside like, well, all that training for nothing. Let's move yeah. on to let's move on to Storm. She'll be my successor. That was very yeah, comic book. She's holding it together great. <laughs> yeah. That was all very comic book. They totally turned him into like the twisted guy I know and kind of like, but don't. Totally. Yeah, very much a manipulator, very much a, a chessboard player, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so oh, wait, I'm going to step out really fast. I'm going to be back in like 
maybe 90 seconds. Okay. Okay. Be right back. So, the 46 mark. So, well, yeah. <clears throat> I have not seen The Sopranos. My wife and I, I watched the first episode way back when, and it wasn't for us, although it might be more for us now. I guess I saw five seasons out of six, because now I'm finally at stuff I don't remember, or don't have any recollection of seeing. Almost done. Uh, I've restarted Dark Shadows. Oh, gosh. Which is like my third time to restart it, and we'll see if I can make it past stuff I haven't seen this time around. Um, I'm watching it with my marble reading, so you know that project's not going anywhere, so hopefully the Dark Shadows project stays on track as well. <sighs> why do we do this to ourselves? I love systems. I know, but why do we want to watch the same thing 50 times that we keep failing at watching? You know, I do the same thing. It's like, I didn't enjoy it the first five times while well, I quit, but I got to get through it. And I, I, like, I was enjoying it. I just got distracted. Yeah. But it's also the sort of thing that, like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, why do I like this? Because no one else likes this. Except for all the people that do that aren't oh, my family. Yeah, I was going to say, lots of people like it, but... Um, All right, I'm back. <laughs> Yay. Sorry about that. I had a crying cat outside of my door. Oh. So, um, side note about this whole aspect of Jean's history. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, in the comics, when we first meet Jean Grey, it's in the very first issue of the X-Men. She walks in and she's the new student. Yeah. Um, she is ostensibly, no one knows her. Um, and she's brought in and, you know, she becomes part of the team. Then I think it's whenever we're exploring the idea that Cyclops had an orphanage that he came from, that in the very first Sinister storylines, mm-hmm. we see some scenes of Xavier and a teenage Jean Grey, or, or maybe not teenage, but young Jean Grey, visiting Scott at the orphanage. And it's like, oh my gosh, how is Jean with Xavier? So I'm up to like 1993 in my X-Men reading, and I still have not gotten any, any concrete descriptions or explanations of what Jean was doing with Xavier and why she was there before she was with the X-Men. So Um, from what you were saying a minute ago, that does get explored more? A little bit, yeah. Uh, He basically had mentored her. When we first meet Jean, she's in a coma because she had just felt her friend... Annie Richardson die in her own head. So Mm -hmm. it puts her into either a coma. I mean, it changes, right? Sometimes it's a coma. Sometimes she's just like really, really upset and can't communicate with anybody. He comes to visit her. So he's visiting her as opposed to the other scenario where she comes in, joins the school. So he goes to her to begin with for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. So that was basically the explanation they've given us so far. And I read online while I was preparing for another episode recently that, like, his first efforts with Cerebro, he actually used her powers to help calibrate it or yep. something like that. So, you know, he doesn't even admit to Cerebro until several issues into the series. But, oh, ho, ho, Jean Grey actually helped him make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another instance in which Jean is just not giving credit. Yeah. Yeah. Because doesn't she, they, like, they don't even let her use the, or they're hesitant in the second movie where she's goes uh-huh. to use it. She's like, Oh, I'm j- I'm not ready for that to use Cerebro. <laughs> yeah. She almost dies. Yeah. And it's like, cool. Well, in the comics, yeah, she like, I don't have things to say it. about that. When we talk about that in the comics. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I may have talked to you over there. I apologize. So let's see what else. We've got about 45 minutes, which is beast. Good. 
Beast. Yes. That was a big one. And he had a lot of character moments. Mm-hmm. So, Secretary of Mutant Affairs, he's in the professor's cabinet. I'm yep. sorry, the, the, the president's cabinet. Yes. That's a pretty big deal from movie number two where like they're willing to go to war against everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Beast always has been that guy, even in the comics, where he's kind of the person who can go from team to team and organization to organization. So I thought that was interesting. What do we think of Kelsey Grammer as uh, the Beast, like casting wise? I thought it fit beautifully. It actually reminded me a lot of the cartoon Beast. Yeah, it took me in a different direction. I think I don't really like Kelsey Grammer as a person because sometimes I get <laughs> sound clips from him that I just want to fight. But but yeah. I think he did a great job as Beast, actually. And um, it was a different vibe. It was different than the Beast that I associate because I've just grown up reading the comics so much. So it was different. But so was the animated series version. I accept that Beast. I think he's really interesting. So I thought that the Beast was actually really good, and he kind of served that role of being kind of the naysayer, I guess, which I'm not used to from him, and I thought that it worked out really well here. Yeah, he was a good bridge between, uh, you know, humans and not humans. Um, My Beast is a little more jovial, but I don't think you can really do that in this particular scenario. Uh, So otherwise, I think he did a pretty good job, yeah. I think he's just a bit older and a bit more wizened. I mean, my beast is an Avenger. Sorry. I claim him <laughs> as an Avenger. And he and Wonder Wonder Man like to go out on the town and have fun. But, I uh, love those issues. I love yeah. that time period. Yeah. So, With their terrible hats. Right. <laughs> and their horizontal striped shirts. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I thought he was, I thought the casting was good when they announced it and it worked out pretty good. Mm-hmm. We never see that particular version again, unfortunately, but. Yeah. And they didn't give him a lot of growth or anything. They just kind of were like, this is what he's here for. Fair enough. But see, but see, he's another one. Like, this actually applies. Like, you have cool powers, but you are blue and fuzzy. Like he said, you shed on the couch or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That moment where, like, he finally sees his pink hand for the first time and however, who knows how long, was actually pretty, pretty powerful scene, I thought. True. Uh, Definitely uh, jarring for me for a co- as a comic fan because I'm used to him just being a wacky, zany, mad scientist who gave his fur to himself. And <laughs> oh, right, right. That yeah. is a little bit of a different arc. Um, and I think also that, you know, it, it adds an element of sympathy to him in this movie. Uh, he doesn't have that element in the comics, which I think is one of the more interesting things about him. But I, once again... You know, two-hour movie, this was a good take on Beast. I think that first Amazing Adventures run is the only time when we see him, like, dealing with the fact that he's now physically changed. Oh, no. Um, Peter, Grant Morrison, and past that, it gets very, very intense on, you know, him constantly and habitually experimenting on himself. I'm sorry, I, I meant, like, like in the... Um, you know, in, in Avengers, he's very happy-go-lucky. And in yeah. X-Factor, you know, he doesn't really, in those 80s, 1980s stories, the fact that he's blue and furry isn't really that much of a problem for him. But in that yeah. very first one, when he first changes, it's very werewolfy, where he kind of, mm-hmm. you know, wishes he could be human. Um, yeah. I can imagine that even when he fully copes with and, and comes to grips with the fact that, you know, this is him and he's totally coped, seeing his own hand on his hand would be like, wow, that would be a moment. Right, yeah. It's good. I thought it was good. I would have taken a couple more steps forward, but that's just me. Just to check it out. <laughs> just be like, what does it look like? Someone get a mirror. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I look like Frasier. 
what the hell? You <laughs> uh. look like that guy on TV. Yes. <laughs> so Leech is another concept that I had zero concept of because, of course, he's, you know, a comics character. And uh, he, already and Leech are the two, like, you know, colorful moppets of, yeah. <laughs> of early X-Factor and, um, uh, and, and other – is it just X-Factor that they're mainly in? Yeah, it really so. is. They don't, yeah. I mean, they don't, they make appearances, but it's mostly the X Factor series that we see them in. Yeah. Exterminators. He doesn't, he doesn't really do anything here so, other than have pretty eyes and, and marvel at things going outside his window. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really understand him as, as a young, younger viewer the first time I saw this. I didn't know what he was. And there's nothing, for some reason, like the first time they show him, uh, they show his picture and his file, and then they start talking about what it is. Oh. And the the educated viewer will realize that this is Leech, and therefore they have probably developed this thing from his blood. But they don't actually... The lines they use to describe the connection between the boy and the cure, mm-hmm. I feel are just a little bit obscure. And they don't really come out and just like fully state... We took this boy's mutant blood and distilled it into a cure for the mutants because that's his power. Mm-hmm. Like, like, uh, what's her face? Um, who we'll talk about and cry over in a second. Um, <laughs> says to Magneto, like, without the boy, they have nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's why he goes to go to kill the boy because if you kill the kill the boy, kill the boy. Um, <laughs> yes, miss. yes, miss. <laughs> them, you. Uh, they don't have a cure anymore. So it's like, really? They they don't just take the blood and then figure out a formula from it and continue to replicate that? Like, once the boy dies of a heart attack at 85, you're done with the whole cure and mutants thing? Like, it's over? <laughs> so that did seem kind of weird. Like, they don't really explain oh. how it's working. How How is Leech getting into the gun that they're injecting into Warren's arm? Uh, and how can you change somebody's DNA with a gun? <laughs> like, all of this... <laughs> All of the science behind this, you just go, oh, dear. I believe that that was, like, the first issue I had with this movie was just being like, you can't shoot somebody's different DNA. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. But evidently you can, Sarah. They did it. Yeah. You're (laughs) just not a scientist. That's true. It gives us that classic moment of Beast actually saying the words, oh, my stars and garters, whenever they come to Alcatraz or whatever that was. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was that the was part great. where I was like, I'm great. This is great. I'm having a great time. I love this movie. <laughs> this <is beautiful."> <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize it's not. Um, that part was great. <laughs> so let's let you, you alluded to it, Mike. Let's let's talk about Mystique. Yeah. So sad. So yeah. So all three of us unanimously agreed that the best character in the first two movies was Mystique, and uh-huh. Rebecca Romaine played an awesome Mystique, yep. and this is her last time portraying Mystique, and it's like they knew that we loved her, so they're like, ah, oh, let's ruin it then. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, on the, <laughs> one, hand, on the one hand, it was an interesting uh, character study of Magneto, because we all know that he's not Professor X in the sense that... Uh, you know, yes, he's pro mutant, but he'll also kick you to the curb if you're not towing his line. Right. So uh, that that's kind of what makes him evil. So you mm-hmm. have to root for the other guy. Um, and my kids had some serious issue with his line about you were so beautiful. That's yeah. fun. That's hilarious. I love that line. I, I always thought it was like oddly poignant, but they're like, he only, he only kept her around for her beauty. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. I was thinking more like, when she was a mutant and weird and blue and whatever, that was beautiful to him. And now she's just a normal human. So yuck. 
Yeah, I think that what's really interesting about that scene is I make the comparison a lot with Magneto being this kind of warning for, I mean, he's kind of this character where his activism doesn't make sense. We Mm -hmm. look at activists in real life and we say, this person is driven by this thing. We talked about the the Malcolm X comparison, which is always not right, (laughs) Um, Right. you know, before. But with Magneto, I feel like a lot of times it's kind of this centrist viewpoint where they're looking at Magneto and they're saying, but like, this is how scary leftists are, right? Uh, No leftist wouldn't have an answer. No leftist like wouldn't be able to immediately come back on you. Like no leftist would leave somebody like that, right? So these are, I mean, maybe, but like not really, right? Right. So we have have this kind of exaggerated view, and I think that obviously that means that Mystique suffers for it. And then later, Mystique, whenever she turns over on him, they say that line that is, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And it's like anybody would have rolled over on Magneto at that point. Like, I don't think that we needed that line to exist. (laughs) Right. any person would have been like, yeah, to hell with that guy. But also, why didn't she know that side of him already? Like, why must have? Yeah. I mean, the only one who didn't seem to be Pyro, he was like, that was a cool little shot on his face. Like, wow, that's really messed up, man. Yeah. And that's kind of where we see the most interesting parts of Pyro, too, where he's kind of struggling a little bit. But the thing with Mystique, I thought was it it's Interesting, I guess, it proves the point that they want to prove, but it also is a bit to the detriment of both of those characters, because they are activists. I don't think that, like, Mystique's mutant activism wouldn't end just because one person hurt her feelings or, like, you know, left her to die or something. She wouldn't be over it all of a sudden. She'd be just probably trying really hard to figure out how she could, like, get her powers back, honestly. But... I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I thought some of the stuff that happened with her, I loved her, obviously, still in this movie. I'm uh-huh. glad that we have another opportunity to talk about how great she was in that role. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, kind of a bummer. And the way that it ended was kind of like, well, here's your anti-mutant statement, and then here's, like, sexism, and here's, <laughs> you know. So it was kind of like, cool, well, you just, like, scooted her out the door in this really kind of offensive way, but all right. Yeah, and she just doesn't get another moment. So it's like that's the last scene with her is her being utterly defeated. It's just kind of sad. Yeah, it's very upsetting. We've really – I think that one of the best things about looking over these movies again has been me thinking about Rebecca Romaine Stamos as Mystique and being kind of impressed by her and impressed by her activism in comparison to the later version of Mystique that we see. Absolutely. That's not here, though. (laughs) No. Yeah, we we talked – Last time, I think it was about how few lines Mystique has, but how the lines are always like really solid clinchers of like descriptions of her past, descriptions of her life. And she had a couple of those here where it's just like, you know, I I forget exactly what it was, but something about the last time somebody did something. um, I don't know. But, you know, she she portrays that there is this horrible past that she has managed to come out of just barely. But I agree that if 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 Magneto walked away from her one, I don't think she would be surprised because she would have seen that similar ruthlessness any number of times over the last several years. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think she would have been like, oh, that boy hurt my feelings. I'm going to get him back and hurt his mission. 
that's that's not her, and that's not I think most people. Um, dismissive of what he did, like yeah, he did something terrible. That's for to be like, oh well, she's just a lady PMSing. <laughs> it's like right, all right. <laughs> so we yeah. definitely did not need that aspect of the story. No, no, he's he's never been pro mutant. He's just pro Magneto, mm-hmm. and. Anybody who hangs out with him long enough should figure that out, or you're just delusional, I guess. It'd be um, really cool if Magneto in the comics, or maybe someday when they revamp all the comics again, like if he was actually a guy who like actively created like mutant homeless shelters and donated his time to helping them and stuff like that, and just hated humans and wanted to kill them. Now you're really on the fence as to whether he's a bad guy or not. Yep, I think that but, that's when they're the most successful with him, right? Right, but like, geez, the comics John and I are reading right now, he is the worst of the worst villains we read. Like, Doctor Doom Uh seems like a nice guy compared to all the bad choices Magneto makes constantly. Every bad choice he can make, he makes. He tries to send the Earth off of its axis. Like, he wants to kill everybody. (laughs) Right. He's a bad person. (laughs) He's bad to all his own people. He's bad to the people that try and defeat him. He's just the worst. Mm -hmm. We recently talked about the issue where he tries to basically... Um, pawn off the Scarlet Witch on Namor, like, sexually. Yep. Right. And, you know, kudos, I guess, to both Wanda and Namor handling that with some aplomb, because Mm -hmm. Magneto's horrible in that issue. Yeah. And the whole time, Quicksilver's like, let's get out of here, let's go, let's go. (laughs) Right. And that explains Quicksilver's protectiveness of her, like, later on, where a lot of people are, well, that's really a weird relationship. And it's like, ah, no, you didn't see the choices she was making early on. (laughs) She was trying to hang out with Magneto. He had to protect her. It makes sense. So with all that said about Magneto and his character in both the comics and these movies, that's just a testament to Ian McKellen, though, for, like, tricking us constantly Oh, yeah. In, into thinking that Magneto actually is kind of cool and we should listen to him. Yep. Until he does something horrible like abandon, uh, you know, Mystique or whatever. But he'll just say things that it just be like, yeah, I'm with you, buddy. Totally. You're right. That happens with so, the, the people in the warehouse. Yeah. Someone already marked me once and I swore I'd never do it again. You know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you seem like you're on our side. But then I forget, oh, no, he's not. He's only on Magneto's side. And if you fail him, he's going to toss you off a cliff or something. Right. Yeah, it's it's an unflattering portrayal of activism for sure, I would say. Yeah, but he does a good job of, of you know, tricking us. Yes, he does. That smile, he gets us every time. <laughs> I did like seeing him and Charles at the beginning of the movie. Uh-huh. They were the cutest old married gay couple ever. <laughs> they really are sometimes. It's like you want to cut the problems out of this relationship and it's like just kiss, basically. Right, <laughs> right. Time. They show up on Jean Grey's front lawn. Like, they always infringe on her space every time they show up. And I think that that, it gives Jean more sympathy because in this movie, we struggle with our sympathy for Jean sometimes. But she, the fact that these guys just keep showing up at her house, I think, makes me be like, oh, Jean, never stood a chance. I was going to say, like, that's a cool scene, and I actually would like to see like a movie about that sort of thing. Yes. And then I realized, oh, wait, that's the direction they go. So maybe they thought the same thing. Yeah. Because the next, I don't know what the next movie is. Is the next movie the, the first prequel? First class, yeah, is it? Okay, first class. The next class. team movie is first class. We have Wolverine Origins first, but yeah. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. But yeah. So they go they go right to like, hey, let's talk about these two guys when they were young and going around from house to house. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. we want to see that. That was a cool scene. <laughs> 
Um, so uh, there were a couple of like much more background, I guess, minor characters. Callisto is in this movie. Yeah. What? And I didn't even realize she was supposed to be Callisto. Tattoo. She's the one with the tattoo. The one helping Magneto. Uh huh. Oh, the one with wait. The one with the the sonic blasts or whatever? No, uh, no, she one? is. Oh, the one that's running around fast and yeah, can detect people. mutants and goes quickly. Okay, so and Calis- the one that Magneto has that line with, where he goes, right. "Well, nobody will ever mark me again." After she's like, "Oh wow, I had no idea that was supposed to be her." That's what I thought. Anyway, it could be different. She gets no characterization really, so. Yeah, she's a plot. She's a plot out. So she doesn't do that in the comics, right? Running around like the Flash and stuff. No, I've never seen okay. that. I think well, Callisto's not... power set in the comics is pretty ill-defined. It I is. That, yeah, that's how they fooled me then. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't and... even know she was supposed to be Callisto until I, I looked up. I, I was actually trying to find information on um, the woman who's like her silent partner the entire time and never gets uh-huh. a line. Uh, yeah. I was trying to who she was. Um, At least put an eye patch on her. Jeez. Yeah, right. Come on, right. That's weird. So, oh, but you know, she's there in the underground. I guess that's kind of right. <laughs> yeah, she's in a warehouse instead of the sewers. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of the Morlocks vibe. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Crazy. So I will say that whenever I saw this in 2006, um, the and I, I didn't write down her name. I didn't write down her superhero name or her actor name, and I should have done. But um, sheltered growth that I had, I think that Callisto's partner in that film was like the most gender nonconforming queerness I'd ever seen in a person. And uh, she has this sort of masculine appearance to her that I thought Uh maybe she was male and was just like dressed differently. And I I knew what Rocky Horror Picture Show was, but she's she's a model and actress with a long, you know, successful career, and her her somewhat masculine characteristics have done well for her in her career. So more power to her. Uh, Just um, I'm not sure I'm not sure where we are in, in the whole like you know journey of representations, but. They do cast these queer-looking, you know, queer-coded characters into the villain light, right? And with no lines, <laughs> right? And nothing so, to qualify. No so speaking for themselves, but they're on screen. I mean, I don't know. I was trying. I'm just while you were talking, I was trying to figure out what the heck her name was, and I still can't find it. So mm-hmm. that tells you how much prominence she had, I guess. Right. I found a guy named Fat who can go from really large to really skinny when he sat down. So they they plug him in Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. I actually really like that character. He's from like this ecstatic. Oh, ecstatic! Speaking of Mad Men, John. Anyway, yes, I've, I've been reading Mad Men the first time. Uh, <laughs> yes, I love Mad Men. I feel like ecstatic was a was a, not a spinoff, obviously, but like inspired by his Mad Men Mad Men slash. Uh, what was that beatnik superheroes that Alred had? The Atomics. Uh, the Atomics. Like, didn't Ecstatic kind of seem like them, sort of? I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, Peter Milligan was the person who wrote it, too. So, like, the oh. the combination of those styles was definitely very yeah. true to both of those creators. <laughs> and, you know, Laura Allred as well, who's always, uh, uh, always present in a Mike Allred production. But... Yeah, I really loved that series. This oh. is completely off of <laughs> the train of thought that we're on right now, but Okay, I, I found it. Good. Her name is Arclight. 
Oh, Arclight. Oh, and damn. I'm going to totally botch the name of the actress because it's spelled funny and I don't know how to read. But I it's... with Omira. Omira Moda. Ah, I don't but... know the actor, but I do know Arclight. And that's very interesting that they put her in that position because in the comics, she is definitely, um, she's on the fence, I'll say, very, very commonly. Uh, here yeah, is Arangels. She looks familiar, but I can't think of a story that I've read of her in it. But uh, she and was I, the original X Factor, and then later she was okay. one of Magneto's acolytes. Um, okay. Well, the 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 woman that had like purple hair, I think, was supposed to be Psylocke. Yeah, that's what it's saying. Psylocke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I thought it was the weirdest choice to give her that role. Uh huh. Turns out Jubilee was in the background of this film. And I'm almost uh, thinking it's the same actress as the first two films. Oh, yeah. Could be. We had Myra McTaggart. I forgot about that. We had... Yeah, uh, briefly. They, they mentioned her and then they have her on TV. And <laughs> Avalanche and Vanisher. But see, that's the thing with these movies, man. They throw every person they can at you, but they don't develop any of them. So who cares, I guess? Yep. Siren was one of those characters. I guess I guess yep. in the big mutant fight at the end, you have all these characters there. Yep. Doing not much. <laughs> yeah, except being power sets. And it looks cool, and it's fun. Uh-huh. But and it, it's comic book lip service. Like, us fanboys are all like, yeah, I know who that is. Uh-huh. And, like, but... Multiple Man was only in the movie for that one scene, that one decoy scene. That's the only purpose he served. Yeah. He's- that casting was great. I was really disappointed in that, actually, that he wasn't in it more because I felt like that guy was totally had that smirking, weird mm-hmm. attitude, like weird vibes guy that, you know, Madrox really is that we love. You know, he's he's a really good character. So I would watch a multiple man movie starring that actor for sure. But he he had a big gig in Grey's Anatomy that same year. I wonder if uh, that probably had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we said we would talk about him, but somehow he hasn't come up yet. Juggernaut. Oh. <laughs> it's Juggernaut, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, was, I mean, he didn't do anything either, right? He really didn't. He had slightly more S&M gear than he usually <laughs> Like his like look was a little bit more dumb than what we're used to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I oh man, Juggernaut. Yeah, wish wish we would have seen an actual Juggernaut, or he had been a threat of any kind. I mean, it was fun to watch Kitty Pride beat him in like a two second fight, but yeah, he's an interesting character, right? Like Kane Marco's kind of the guy who's always trying to mind his own business, and then the X Men like rough him up kind of out of nowhere. So I feel like that was you know we didn't see the juggernaut that we're totally used to, I guess. The stepbrother but, of Charles Xavier. Yeah, none of that came up. <laughs> She's Australian Wait. somehow. He's yeah. like a big, powerful thing that's fun to fight. That's kind of like what his character is. Um, they put so him I, against like the teen girl, and he's like a right. misogynist. So, you know, we all yeah. want to cheer for Kitty Pride for getting to do something for two seconds of this movie. Like, but Like, I don't think the juggernaut would ever be the main villain in an epic x-men movie so oh although he's paired up with black tom or yeah deadpool <laughs> deadpool 2 i guess but uh he's good in that yeah he's great in that but he also is a reveal like halfway through but um uh-huh so i guess like yeah I his presence in that movie was totally kept secret i have no uh, uh i liked this juggernaut i don't have any expectations of juggernaut so he pretty much delivered what a juggernaut would do which is bull people over and and talk like a moron sure yeah so he worked 
like the heart of him was like a little bit missing. We really, even in the comics, he's usually a badly characterized guy. But uh. at the same time, I always sympathize with him because whenever the X-Men show up to fight him, it's always because he's just having a beer with somebody and they go, oh, that's Juggernaut. And then they start fighting him. Mm-hmm. And I, that is just a personal preference, just a thing I enjoy in the comics. <laughs> that was a... Guy's Night Out issue that Liefeld did during the Australia uh, era. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. They, they take Colossus out, I think, and they just run into Juggernaut at the bar. Yep. It happens with Dazzler. It happens like it well, happens multiple times. Yeah. They had a, just kicking it. The Girls' Night Out, the same, like the next issue or the issue prior, right? Like, that was, was Jubilee's a, first appearance. Yeah. Yeah. That was good stuff. Good Y'all, era. that was 30 years ago. She oh, just shut up. <laughs> Jubilee is 30 years old now. Oh, my uh, God. um so my only quibble which is just total fanboy nerd quibble but when when uh kitty probably phases you into the floor you can't just like break out because your molecules are infused into it's yeah cement instead it was just like wrapped around him and he just broke out because i don't know he should have died screaming maybe but that's okay yeah it would have I honestly just think that like Ellen Page as Kitty Pride is such a wasted opportunity, but they can't, <laughs> right. they can't make Kitty Pride be gay. <laughs> how did well not just that, but how did they? She was a pretty prominent actress at this point, right? Or no? She I thought this was her is, first big yeah. thing. Oh, is it her first big thing? I thought it was. That could be wrong. Right. I thought has she done Juno already? Because if she does Juno already, oh, oh okay. Oh. Well, I saw Hard Candy. That was a kind of a big. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. So I guess she's not big then. It kind of, it just seems like this, um, and Juno and stuff came all around the same time. So if you reverse the order in your head, it makes no sense that she's even in this movie, but I guess she is Mm -hmm. like, she's just too big an actress to have like two lines or whatever. She, she did her stuff really well. She didn't have a whole lot to do and she did not grow as a character or have any sort of arc. She was just there as, as the other love interest to service Rose and Iceman story. (laughs) I think this is the movie where she had a hard time on production too, but I don't know if we need to get in that kind of gossip because oh, I'm not yeah. exactly sure if that's even true. But with that director that we don't want to talk about. Oh, oh no, he's not even the director. But Ratner is, and Ratner is also oh, yeah. terrible. <laughs> Maybe it was Ratner she was talking about, yeah. I would believe it. Yeah. I'm glad finally, like after how many decades of Hollywood, a lot of that is just being like, you know what? We're not going to cover this up anymore. Right. right? Yeah. I agree. Well, um, I think we've we've come out on a lot of, you know, balanced perspectives. There's there's a lot of good and a lot of bad to a lot of what's going on here. Um, Characters do some things that are pretty great. And then there are lots of choices that are that are made. Um, I feel like this is two movies. Yep. Uh Um, I feel like the Cure storyline is actually a pretty good movie. I I know I liked the Rogue story more than y'all did. Um, the Jean Grey stuff is almost like just a monster film that doesn't yeah. really have a whole lot of logic or purpose or character to it, but it like interlaces with this Cure movie that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of sort of kills the franchise momentum. Yes. Which Origins does nothing to revitalize. No. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's until Days of Future Past that we have another like widely acclaimed x-men film no the 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 the, the, the one after origins was pretty popular wasn't it first class yeah i thought it was i maybe i'm wrong i really liked it it, but my memory is that it was not well received i don't know really okay 
We'll have to look that up because I'm not sure either. I was checked out. I was done. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were on boycotting. <laughs> Never forget Last Stand. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Well, we haven't talked about the two either. big ones, <laughs> and that's Gene and Wolverine. Oh, true. <laughs> well, Wolverine obviously wasn't eating a lot of protein in this movie. No. As he does, as he does later. <laughs> it's yeah. funny how he gets bigger the more backwards you go in his timeline, but... <laughs> Um, otherwise, he was pretty much Wolverine. He did the Wolverine things, yeah. Yeah. He was actually more sympathetic than Xavier. Well, he was in the right because he's the hero of the movie, right? This is, after all, Wolverine and the X-Men, the last stand. Mm-hmm. So I guess we could talk about Gene. I don't know what to say other than, like I said before, they kind of make it so that Professor X is right because she does go evil. But they don't really explain to me, to my satisfaction anyway, what is making her evil exactly. It seems like she's just a possessed person. Um, which is yeah. just, just like no fun. Like they could have done something to make it so like, you know, maybe her super powerful telepathy is making her go crazy or something. Like they don't explain anything. She's just evil because she's supposed to be evil. Yeah. And she stands around a lot in the movie. And then only at the very end does she go crazy to prove Professor X right. And then she dies. So for a Dark yeah. Phoenix saga, there wasn't a lot of saga for her. No. And they... uh yeah, didn't do right by Jean, that's for sure. Just did her so dirty in this movie. <laughs> Real rough. Sorry, Jean. Yeah, if you love Jean Grey, you do not like this movie, probably. It was hard. It's a hard one. I uh, I try to focus on the positive things. I really liked, once again, Famke Jensen was, or Jansen was fantastic. She's sure. a great Jean, really good. They gave her nothing to work with, and she did a good job. So I like that. Um I was baffled whenever her and Magneto joined forces because as somebody who's been reading the comics since I was a child, Magneto is the one person that Gene cannot be in a room with, doesn't care about, doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> like with that guy, every time he talks to her, she just doesn't care. He's been trying to yeah. kill her since she was 15 years old. <laughs> like She just doesn't like him. And it's like, even when he becomes good or whatever, she's completely checked out of that. She does not care. She's over it. She's done. And so for her to team up with him in this movie, I thought was just like, all right, cool. And then, of course, it showed us what a hypocrite Magneto is, but it really just didn't tell us anything about Jean. And I think that that's a great metaphor for everything that happens in this movie with her is we never find out what's going on with her, why it's happening, who she is what she is beyond Wolverine's love interest and Charles Xavier's like pet project. Like <laughs> we just don't know about her and it really sucked. Like that part was definitely the part that was the most painful for me. I, think a fan. I saw a tweet that um, there hasn't been a woman in the writer's room of game of Thrones since season three and it shows. Yeah. And I kind of feel like maybe that's part of what's going on here is that, we have this story about Jean Grey, the you know the fallen superhero, the the fallen woman of power, and the movie is just not about her. Yeah, it's rough. It's very regressive, even like it's worse than the original version. And the, you know, we all we can all come to our own conclusions on Dark Phoenix. That's a beautiful story. There's problems with how they portray women, of course. Like it's 1980 or something. Uh -huh. 
Like, we have a lot of problems with it. You know, we see this woman who finally becomes powerful and then she's taken out of her power. But then we still have Storm. Like, we still have a woman who's having a character arc and things like that in the comics. Here, it was just we only really had Jean (laughs) and then it was done and over before we even really ever saw her do anything and so once again that it steals from a storytelling perspective we don't care about the villain like we don't care about her arc into villainy um i guess my question is are y'all gonna go see dark phoenix (laughs) oh yeah of course Mm -hmm. but uh uh uh, you know i'm not super excited about it per se Uh uh-huh yeah but i i just it's my get out of jail free card superhero movie so i will go Mm -hmm. i'm i'm Uh. trepidatious i'm hoping I'm hoping, but um, ever since they cast Sophie Turner as Jean Grey, I have been so excited for Jean She's Grey's good. presence in these films. And knowing they were going to knowing knowing they were going to do Dark Phoenix again, first I was like, okay, sigh. But also, <laughs> could they actually do it and get it right, and and you know do something that's that's more true to the character's actual journey. And I think we might be getting some of that, or at least more than this film had. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be a lot of just, you know, unusual choices that kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's like that failing upwards thing, right? Because, like, the guy who wrote X3 is like, oh, I need another chance to do it right. And it's baffling because no woman ever has been given a second chance after ruining something to do it right. Uh is it but the same writer? It's the same writer, and he's the director <gasps> on this one. Oh, I did not um, even know. I uh, know. It's baffling. I thought it was Singer, and I was like, well, I'm absolutely not going to go see it. But then I realized that it wasn't. And uh, I don't know. I've been a Jean Grey fan for so long that I just kind of am like, well, yeah, of course I'll be there. I have to, <laughs> almost. We're ending this whole thing like we've been talking about for episodes now. Like We're finally making it to that end point. We're finally going to see what the, you know, the Fox movies were as a whole. And uh, God, I don't know. I'm I'm at least glad to be saying this is the end, I guess. Yeah, this is the last one, right? It has to be. It has to be. Yeah. So, yeah, the next time we come together to talk about X-Men, the Fox X-Men universe will be a finite collection. Yeah. And um, and, we will always love and hate. Yep. (laughs) Yep, same. I think that that's the consensus among us through this, <laughs> through these podcasts. Like, I love hate it so much. Yeah, and it, it you know, putting the X Men in film did a lot for superheroes in film as a as a um, medium and venue and everything else. Like, yeah. I, I think it's fair to say that the MCU would never have gone forward if X Men and Spider Man hadn't been so successful. Agree. Um, this comes out in 2006. And so as this is in the theaters, John Favreau is working like a madman to get Iron Man off the ground. Yep. Um, or, or maybe already is getting Iron Man off the ground and is developing that and making that go forward. So even though this is kind of a missed opportunity of a movie, and I think widely regarded as a failed film, Mm -hmm. the previous X-Men successes have Marvel going forward from here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and it doesn't stop them from making 28 more X-Men movies, so. <laughs> no. Must not have no. been that huge a failure. They must have made and, some money on it. You know, uh, uh, the X-Men animated series doesn't really hold up great either. And that's, you know, for a lot of, I mean, for me, that was one of 
my introductions to the X-Men. So now we have this new generation who like the first time they ever heard of the X-Men, of course you as well, John, but <laughs> the first time that they were involved in watching the X-Men, because you said that the X-Men, the first X-Men movie was your first introduction, right? I had some exposure to the animated series, but I oh, didn't, sure. I didn't know when it was coming on. So I never like walked, watched it concentratedly. Sure. Okay. So like, but you know, now we have this new, a group of people, I guess, who discovered X-Men through these movies. And so now we get this new perspective from people. Now we're going to, we're seeing it happen in the comics now where like a lot of people got their introduction to the franchise through these films, uh, which, you know, being the oldest person alive, I can say (laughs) that I was very grumpy and cranky about uh, whenever they were coming out. But at the same time, it just, you know, it's, it, it is what it is, I guess, is the best way to wrap up the first three X-Men films. Yeah, I mean, much like the MCU, when people kind of forget that, like, Iron Man, Cap, anybody in the that's not Spider-Man or Hulk were not household names, you know? No. And nobody knew who the heck, other than outside the animated series and then these movies, like, nobody knew who Wolverine or Storm or Cyclops were. So this I, uh, this went a lot towards, like putting that on a, on the radar of people who didn't read comics. Totally. I was made fun of ruthlessly as a kid for reading comics. I don't yeah. think that happens now as much. No, not at all. Now it's awesome. Yeah. I think that's why it's no fun anymore. All the things that I liked that I was hated for are now just accepted. And it's like, I have no drama in my life. Okay. If you'd like, I can bully you somewhere. <laughs> Thank you. Finally. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so, um, you know, probably as this is on your feed, the Dark Phoenix film is out. It is available. So go check it out. Let us know in emails what you thought of it, how it compares to this, how it compares to expectations. Um, and we're going to be back. We're not going to talk about Dark Phoenix for a while because we're going to continue our journey through the Fox film. So we'll be back, I guess, next month to talk about another X-Men movie because there's not an MCU film coming out. Let's see, this is June. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Lies. Spider-Man? Almost in July. Yeah. <gasps> Spider-Man. So it'll be a couple of months before we talk about more X-Men, but we'll definitely be doing that. And uh, in the meantime, where can they where can they find uh, your, your comic thoughts, Sarah? Always on Sci-Fi Fangirls. I actually just got finished writing the script for a short documentary on the Phoenix Saga. So that should be up by the time probably that this is up it'll be through sci-fi as well uh and yeah basically just there i'm i'm working on launching so many things but for right now that's the solid place to go and where can they find more episodes of this show mr kaiser <laughs> uh at makearsmarvel.com or just type make ours marvel in your um app search thing yeah or on facebook or twitter yeah, we're all on the Facebooks. We're all on the Twitters. Um, should we give your Twitter handle, Sarah? Is that all right? Yes, I'm not on Facebook, but I am on Twitter and Instagram, both as Sarah Century, no H. Um, I am John Reads Comics, also no H. And from there, my pinned tweet has links to all of my other various random things I do. That Scarlet Witch site, the Scarlet Witch Twitter, I'm really into these days. <laughs> oh, yeah? I've actually been meaning to ask you what you've thought about my ramblings over there. So super interested Having yeah. a great time. <laughs> i choose not to look at them because they're all spoilers to me yes they are <laughs> okay well um well great uh so i guess until next time sarah thank you again for being on the show thanks so much it was great talking to you all and 
Mike, I'll talk to you later. All right. 